We're going to look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to hit the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 4, basically talking about the parable of the sower. And you may be thinking here this morning, what's a parable? And I'm glad you asked, because I want to tell you eight things about what a parable is in just a moment. But one of the things I want to point out first, because this is going to be important for our text this morning, is that Jesus calls his followers to hear right? To hear, to respond to, to share the gospel. What's the gospel? Very simply put, the good news of Jesus, the person, the work of Jesus, that he came, that he stepped out of heaven, that he put skin on. Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? So he, he lived for 33 and a half years or so, and then died a sinner's death. Why? So that we could have access for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so we have access to God because of the person and work of Jesus. And so what Jesus calls us to all throughout the Gospels, what Scripture calls us to from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, is to hear, to respond to, and to share the Gospel. While sin, okay, while sin, the cares of this world and opposition hinder those things. They hinder those things, right? It is hard at times, um, and, 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 and spare the elbows, okay? There's going to be a couple points this morning where you may be tempted to elbow the person next to you, okay? But I would ask you that before you elbow, reflect, okay, is God speaking to you in that moment, right? It is hard to, on some weeks, when you just feel like you're getting hit left and right and then left and right again, um, it's, it's hard to remember our responsibility to hear, respond, and to share the gospel, isn't it? I, I tell you, by, by this past Thursday evening, one of the last things on my mind, just being, being open and honest with you, was to think about, to hear, to respond, to receive, to share the gospel. This week just knocked, me, knocked my socks right off. That's the, probably the most G-rated I can say that. You're not going to laugh at me? Okay, very good. Very good. Bless his heart. Okay, right? And so, and so the question I want to ask you this morning is why are you here? Why are you here? Why did you come? Why are you a part of Summit Church? I, just, I, want, to, I want to put some of you on the spot here because we're going to do this a little bit more over the, over the next couple months. Um, how many of you here are members at Summit? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. I see those hands. I see those hands. See, some of you should be. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. That wasn't a slap on the hand, right? right? But, but you members, I want to talk to you for just a second. If you're a member of Summit Church, why are you here? What are you doing here. And I want to submit to you this morning from this parable that we're going to read is that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. We have a responsibility to hear, to receive, to respond to, and to share the good news of the person and work of Jesus. While, while sin and darkness and struggles and emotions and things of this world compete against it. It's fun right? It's fun. This journey that 
we're on. Biblical writers often refer to body parts sometimes to make an important observation, other times to illustrate a biblical truth. And I want to give you four or five examples of how biblical writers use different body parts to illustrate or show a biblical example. Uh, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now we know that this had to be God, right? Because he just called feet beautiful. How many of you think, no, I'm not even going to ask. Right? I'm not even going to ask. But he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, who, who share the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings. James 3, 6. Oh man, this one's powerful. And the tongue is a fire. Comparing the tongue to a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. James 3.6, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that the, the, refers to the tongue as a fire. And the, and the warning we ought to take there, the warning we ought to heed here, is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if our tongues are on fire we got to check our hearts. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And then Mark chapter 4, verse 9, that we're about to hear, says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our text this morning is about our ears and how well they will hear spiritual truth. And, and I, I want to admit to you, and I, did, I didn't look at any studies of this, but I want to admit to you, and, and let's just throw it out there in the open this morning, I think we can all agree, there's a lot of noise right now, isn't there? There's a lot of noise. There are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of, there are a lot of people telling us to do a lot of different things. There's, there's so much noise. And sometimes, sometimes if you're like me, and some of you aren't, uh, some of you aren't, some of you are, right? But if you're like me, sometimes it's, he- it's hard, it's really hard to hear the voice of God through the noise. Amen? Sometimes it's really hard to discern what the will of God is through all of the noise. Mark chapter 4, let's read. And, and we're going to break it up a little bit into three sections, if that's okay. Y'all okay with that this morning? Man, you can tell I spent last weekend in the South. That y'all is back. It's good. All right, let's read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4 together. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and set set in it on the sea, excuse me, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So you picture this, right? We're out at Sebago Lake. Jesus gets in a little rowboat, goes out into the middle of the sea so that he can be you know, seen a little bit and more easily heard. The crowd, no doubt, would have been pressing in on him, so he separates himself a little bit. He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, 
and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. So again, our text is about ears and how they, were, how they hear spiritual truth. It's about those who come to a church gathering like this one, attend a small group or have someone tell them about Jesus. Just as James 3 teaches us that there's a spiritual connection between the heart and the tongue, Mark 4 teaches us that there's a connection between the heart and the ear. In verse 3, Jesus says, listen. And in verse 9, he says, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. In verse 12 that we're going to get to in just a moment, he speaks of those who may listen and listen but don't understand. In verse 20, he speaks of those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop. What is Jesus' point here with hearing and listening? The first thing I want to point out to you this morning is that we must spread the gospel that people might hear the word. We must spread the gospel that people might hear the word. Have you ever heard someone say this, that you might be the only Jesus people ever see? Right? That we have to seize every opportunity that we can to share the good news of Jesus, right? Because we never know what someone else is dealing with and how God's working on someone's heart, right? We never know. We never know. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that every time we go through the Hannaford checkout line, right, that we look at the person scanning our groceries, right, and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Right? It doesn't, doesn't mean that we need to go into Walmart right, and wear a big banner. Right? It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean, and what I, what I do want you to hear me say, is that we ought, to be, we ought to be looking for opportunities like that to share about the love of Jesus. What it also means is that we ought to be starting relationships, being in relationships, intentionally looking for the open door and the opportunity to tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. Because let me tell you something, without Jesus, there's no hope. And there's no greater hatred than that of, of robbing someone of the love and the hope that you know in Christ and not telling someone that. And not telling someone not sharing that with someone. So we must spread the good news of Jesus that people might hear the word. Jesus is again by the sea. He's teaching, drawing a great crowd, and he taught them many things in parables. Now underline that, star that. What's a parable? I'm glad you asked. Parables are the most striking feature of teaching uh, of, the, of the teaching ministry of Jesus. Jesus used uh, parables to get across some of his greatest lessons. Um, many, uh, I, I don't remember who said this, but someone said a while ago that whenever Jesus was asked a question, he would respond with a question or a parable, right? So the, Jesus, Jesus would respond in one of two ways. He would respond to a question with a question, which I'm sure just gave people so much joy, because it does us today, right? That, that when you go to somebody and you ask them a question, right? And they respond with a question. What is the emotion that stirs up in you? If you're anything like me, it's anger. Amen? Right? Right? And so, and so I can just picture people like, Jesus, who, you know, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, well, what did the prophets say? If I knew, 
I wouldn't ask. Right? Or, or, and then he says, well, or, or, or the second, right? Well, well Jesus, I, I've got this question for you. Hey, pull up a seat. Let's build a fire. Let me tell you a story. And then you've got to try to decipher the story, right? That's essentially what parables are. The popular idea that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning is helpful, but it needs to be explained a little bit. Okay, so eight things about parables real quick. These aren't going to be on your screen. If you want these, you can send me a message or something and I'll, I'll just send you the whole sermon. Okay, parables provide insight into the nature, the coming, the growth and the realization of the kingdom of God. They give us pictures of the kingdom. Right? They give us illustrations. Like sometimes, I, I know the average attention span back in uh, tw- uh, 2003 was seven minutes. Was seven minutes was the average attention span. We've only gone downhill from there. So I know I've got f- less than five minutes of your attention before I've got to give a commercial break. Right? And, and, so, and so essentially, you see parables, we can see parables as illustrations. Jesus telling a story and then applying it to life. Which he tells a parable here in the first nine verses. Then he goes and, and talks, as we're going to see, about a couple of things. And then in verses 13 through 20, he explains the parable to those who are still checked in. Right? Because he knows that, and we're going to see, that some of them have already checked out once he's just told the story. Because they're like, I don't get this. What, he's talking about soil, scattering seed, thorns, choking out the seed. All, and they check out. Right? And they check out. Sounds a lot about, sounds a lot like Sunday mornings today, doesn't it? Ooh. Okay. Second. So so parables are illustrations. Secondly, parables are by design engaging and, don't miss this, surprising. Parables are by design engaging and surprising. One of the biggest things that Jesus did in his ministry and his teaching was he stretched the Pharisees. Right? He stretched the legalists. He he came and 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 basically you know you know said said all the law is good and useful, but there's really only two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That had to blow the Pharisees' mind because they had spent most of their entire lives learning and reciting all of the laws that were put in in the Old Testament. And so some of the stories here where, where, we, you know, where Jesus talks about sowing seed and all these different things, they were engaging and surprising. The, those were the intended uh, um, uh, outcomes of parables. Number three, parables are used to stimulate thinking and cause the hearer to comp- contemplate what they're hearing. So parables, these stories, they're, they're, they're used to stimulate thinking and cause us to comp- contemplate, can't say that word this morning, what they're hearing. Number four, parables use everyday objects, events, and circumstance to illustrate spiritual truth. Parables reveal more truth to those with receptive ears. That makes sense, doesn't it? And then hide the truth from others. Here's why this is so important. Number six, parables make up 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Parables make up 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. And, and, he, and, and can I tell you just for a moment why I love that? I love the style that Jesus uses here. 35%, right, of, of Jesus' teaching is made up by, by, by the use of parables, these illustrations, these stories to, to get people to engage, literally engage with spiritual truth, right? 
and, and it just goes back to my belief that church on Sunday morning should be anything but boring. Right? Jesus, Jesus is looking for ways to illustrate his truth in ways that are engaging and real life at the time. Right? He's looking for ways to get down on people's level. I once, had a, I once heard a preacher that, that said, listen, when you preach, right, you need to preach in such a way where you bring the congregation up to your level. Right? You must use Greek. You must use Hebrew. You must use all these things. And I'm like, I don't see that in the person and work of Jesus when he's teaching. Like when I see Jesus teaching, and this is why I struggle so much, and Dylan's going to get mad at me, right? I know he is, right? I struggle so much being on the stage because I believe Jesus would have been right here. And in fact, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, it says that he sat and the crowds just gathered around him. What a beautiful picture of Jesus, right? And so for those of you that are watching the live stream, I know I just ran out of the picture. I'm sorry, okay? Right? But, 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 but we make so much of this time. Right? We make so much of this time. We listen to so many sermons. We're trying to gather all this information. And my fear for us is that we have so much access to so much information that we're not putting any of it into practice in our lives. We wear like a badge of honor. I listened to five sermons this week. Well, I listened to 15. Well, I listened to 67 let me tell you something. If you're listening to 67 sermons a week, bless your heart, but you're not applying anything. You're not applying anything. Right? So Jesus' teaching was done in such a way, 35% again in parables, probably 30% in questions. Right? Uh, that, that's made up. Okay, don't quote me on that. So that people could engage with the truth that he was speaking. Number seven, parables usually, but not always, okay, usually, but not always, focus on one, everybody say one, single truth. Okay, sometimes you can draw, I'm I'm trying to think of one. Uh, There are a few parables I've I've said where, where I could read those and I could preach about 10 or 12 different messages out of that parable because there's just so much truth. It's rich in truth. But, but, but some parables, most parables, are used to engage and to drive home one uh, single truth. Number eight, last one. Parables in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, ultimately draw attention to Jesus and call us to make a personal decision concerning Him. Again, they call us to make a personal decision concerning Him. My prayer every Sunday that I get the opportunity to preach to you is this. That, that, it, that at the end of the message, you are called to something. If you're not called to something by the end of the message, and all you hear is 35 to 75 minutes of information. Zan, Zan said last week that I often threaten that, but it never comes true. And I took that as a, as a challenge. Okay? Just so you know, I've considered myself challenged here by one of our elders, Zan. And we're just going to see. We're just going to see what happens, okay? Right? right? But 35 minutes or so of spiritual information with no challenge, with no take-home, with, with no, I need to do this in my life. And not that you need to, not that you need to completely like, right? But, 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 the, but hopefully in, in every message that you hear, right? You're sitting and saying, 
I could work on this in my life. I could work on this in my life. I need to be challenged here in my life. Right? I need to be challenged here in my life. One, one, of, the, one of the ways I was challenged by this text, by this text this week, was when Jesus says, listen! Right? Listen! Because, because so often I'm far too busy and I'm far too concerned with what everybody else thinks is important in my life that I don't listen to the things that God wants me to see as important. And so maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. Okay? So that's the truth about parables. Let's get back to the text. Verses 3 through 8 make up what is often called the parable of the sower. But here's the thing. I think the parable of the soils is a better title. I like that song. I think the parable of the soils is a better title because the question I'm going to ask you, spoiler alert, at the end of this, is that if, you, if you're examining your heart this morning, what type of soil are you? What does your soil look like? Are you thorny? What type of soil are you? In sowing, a farmer would spread the seed everywhere. Everywhere. And the difference in growth resulted from the type of soil that it landed on. In the illustration, there's four types of soil. The path, the rocky ground, the soil with thorns, and the good and productive soil. The parable begins with a challenge for the hearers to pay attention. A spiritually alert heart and hungry mind are needed to understand what he's teaching. Don't forget what we say around here often, that God will meet us at the level of our expectation. Here's the deal. You can always tell who's paying attention, can't you? Where are my teachers in the room? You can always tell, right? You can always tell who's paying attention, who's not paying attention, even with the masks on. Some of you think, wow, these really cover me up. I can, I can, I can check out a little bit. Nope, nope. We know. We know. And I always baffle Kristen from time to time because I see everything from up here. Just remember that. Just remember that. And what Jesus, is, what Jesus is asking them to do is to lean forward, to lean in, to be alert, to be attentive. And the message of the parable is clear. We must sow the seed of good news that others might hear and respond. We must sow the seed of good news, of the good news of Jesus, so that people might hear and respond. I picked up a saying uh, last week. My friend Jeremy uh, at the Access Church and um, uh, he, he, um, uh, they have a saying that they want to make it hard to get to hell from Middle Tennessee. And I like that. I like that. And I, and, I, and I was like, wow, you know, Summit, we make it hard to get to hell from Southern Maine. That's why we're here. We're not here to check a box of coming to church on Sunday morning. We're not here to, we're not here to you know, stroke anybody's ego. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not here for our... You know, None of that. Like the ultimate reason that we each should be here is just to throw out seed. It's to throw out seed. I'm not a good gardener. I'm not. I'm, I, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. And one of my strengths is not gardening. I, I'm really not good. When I dig a hole, and, and we, we plant flowers uh, on, on Memorial Day um, at, at some different graves and things like that as a family, and that's typically the... the, 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 the um, the, 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 
extent, thank you. (laughs) That's typically the extent of our gardening. And when we do, I really want those things to live because they're important to me. And so, and so I, I'll, over, I'll overseed those things, man. Like I will put the, what is it, the flower, the feed and seed, or something like that. I, man, we, we need one for, for every, every plant, a one, one bucket, um, because I want to make sure that that thing grows. But you know what's happened in the past? I've overseeded the thing and killed it. Have we ever done that spiritually with somebody? Where we came on so strong, we asked so many questions, we called them this, we accused them of this, we, we, we called them to repentance when they weren't ready, and we killed the relationship. Right? I'm a generous seed spreader when it comes to plants because I don't know how to plant. And some of us, right, some of us need to be taught. We need to grow in how to share about the things of God before we go out and oversee the thing. Okay, let's look at verses 10 through 12. Because here's the thing, one more thing, one more thing before we go there. Okay, get get ready, get ready for verse 10, because I'm going to say one more sentence and then we're going to go to it. Responses are going to vary. Right? Responses are going to vary as you, as you cast seed, as you throw out seed. But here's the thing, and here's what we've got to set ourselves free from. The responses are not our concern. Our assignment is, are we casting seed? Are we sowing seed? And God is responsible for the harvest. That ought to free you up. I can't tell you how many times, Chris and I went on a stretch of like three or four years where we tried to do a garden. I think we got a lot of lettuce. That was it. I think we had one salad of our own lettuce, and that was it. Like, and praise the Lord. It was so good. It was so rich because it just adds to it, right? I made this, and now I'm eating this, right? It's incredible. It's a beautiful feeling, right? But again, I stink at that, right? And so now I just eat the lettuce that real farmers make at Hannaford, right? And I know my limitations. And so I'll put my time to better use, right? But, but my, I'm not responsible for the soul's harvest. I'm responsible for how I'm sowing. I hope someone was set free by that this morning. Look at verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so verses 10 through 12, they're kind of like the intermission between Jesus telling the parable and then explaining the parable. Because it says there, they were alone. Some of the people checked out, some of the people left, some of the people were like, okay, uh, he, he, he didn't connect with me today, right? And, and, and so they, they left. And, they, and so then, then the disciples said to him, right, what's the deal? What is, what, what is it with this parable? His listeners wanted to know more about why he spoke in these illustrations, in these parables. He answered in a way that some would classify as one of the hard sayings of Jesus, right? 
that they may indeed see but not pursue, perceive, excuse me, that they may indeed hear but not understand. He's basically saying that those who aren't really listening will indeed check out and not receive the benefit of the explanation of the parable. They're not going to receive the benefit of the truth. I saw this quote yesterday, and uh, it's an anonymous quote. It says, Love the word, and you will get more satisfaction and understanding in who God has revealed himself to be. Love the word, and you will get more satisfaction and understanding in who God has revealed himself to be. Refuse the word, and even the understanding you do have will be taken away. The thing that Jesus is trying to get them to see is that God's plan for growing his kingdom is sowing seeds. That God's plan for growing his kingdom is sowing seeds. Later, the kingdom will flourish like seeds that mature into fruit. I want you to think for a moment this morning, who has sowed a seed in your life? Go, go back. Go, go back to the early days, right? Go back to the early days, right? Who sowed the first seed in your life about the person and work of Jesus? Who sowed the first seed? Who, who invited you to church for the very first time? Right? Who, who drug you there, kicking and screaming? And for some of you, it may not be a who. For some of you, it may be a What? For some of you, it may be a what. Like for me, the night I was 16 years old and gave my life to full-time ministry, I was hungry, I had no money, and there was a youth group serving pizza. And so I was there for the pizza. Right? And so somebody bought that pizza to sow a seed in the heart of Travis Bush that he would show up that night, give his life to full-time ministry, and then here we are 21 years later. Quick math. Right, And so for some of you, it's not, it might not be a who, but a what. Right? But think about, think about that. Who sowed the first seed in your life? The thing that Jesus is trying to get them to see is that God's plan for growing His kingdom is sowing seeds. Do you have ears to hear? This morning, do you have ears to hear? Will you see the seed grow? And then let's look at verses 13 through 20 where he explains the parable. You guys okay? Okay. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? I love the number of times that Jesus, you can just almost hear in his voice that he's just getting a little fed up with the disciples and with the people that are closest to him. Right? I mean, do you not get this? Do you not understand? You, okay, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Again, he, he, here he's explaining it, right? So what's the seed? The word, right? The sower sows the word. Don't miss that. Underline that. Star that, right? That's the seed. The word, not your opinion, not what you think, not your preference, not your want, but the word, okay? Um, the, the sower sows the word, and these are along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. Why? Because he doesn't want you to get it, right? I mean, think about that for just a moment, right? There's an enemy that is opposite of God, 
right? Who wants to steal and kill, who wants to destroy those who would hear about the gospel of Jesus and then therefore go and live for him. There's an enemy. And so Jesus is saying immediately after that seed is sown, the enemy is going to come in and take away what he can. Cause doubt, cause questioning, right? Cause those things to, to come and, and, um, and, and, and not allow the, the seed to be sown. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Chances are, if you've been in the church for a few minutes, you've seen someone like this. They get, so, they get so excited on the front end. They go home, they burn all their secular CDs, and they say we're, they're going to read the Bible in 24 hours. They're so excited. And then the second that the thing doesn't come that they thought God would promise them that, that, that it would come, they turn away. They give up. Right? Keep reading. Verse 18, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I believe this is the soil that we are struggling with the most. It's a distracted soil. That we like the things of God, We've even, for some of us, we've given our lives to the church, right? We, 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 love, we love the idea of the body of Christ, but we can't stop bad-mouthing it long enough to see fruit that God might be doing in and through us, and we're distracted. We're distracted by the songs that were too loud or that we didn't know. I went to a church last Sunday Phenomenal experience. First Sunday, I hadn't preached since August. I sat through both services. They played six songs in that service. I knew none of them. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Because it wasn't routine. I sat there and I'm looking at the words on the screen. And I'm moved to the glory of God because the words were just so rich. Right? And so sometimes... Our preferences of, I want to be comfortable. I want to come to a church where I know the music. I want to come to a church where I'm not going to be challenged. I want to come to a church where my needs are going to be met and my wants are going to be fulfilled. Let me tell you something. You got the wrong outlook. You don't come to church. It's not about that. You know what it is about? Thus saith the Lord. And so if you're sitting there, standing there on a Sunday morning, you don't know the song, read the lyrics. See what thus saith the Lord. It comes from the screen. And let it saturate and enrich your soul. Because you know what? One of the songs is Jesus, Thank You. And I don't even know who did it. I don't even know who original. Jesus, Thank You. But Micah and I have been listening to this song all week. We listened to it about four times this morning while we were plowing. It's just so rich. The wrath of God. Uh, the, the wrath of God satisfied on my behalf 
Jesus, thank you. What a beautiful lyric, right? That I didn't deserve the grace of God, but he gave it to me anyway. Jesus, thank you. That's the gospel of Jesus in two lines in a song that I didn't know a week ago, but that blessed my heart so much. And don't tell the pastor down there, but it blessed me way more than his message did. Because the gospel was preached to me through song. Okay. Uh, Verse 20, I think is the last one here. Yep, proves unfruitful. Verse 20, but those who were sown on the good soil and the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The promise there, right, is that the faithful that sow seed will see a harvest. We'll see a harvest that God harvests. Amen? That God harvests. So, if we do not listen to the word, we will not benefit. And then number three, the fruitfulness of the gospel depends on the hearer's receptivity. Jesus explains the parable. His words note the essential nature of his parable as a foundation for other parables. If they don't understand this one, they're going to struggle with the others. It's it's like this. If children can't add or subtract, then they're going to struggle to multiply and divide, right? Forget about geometry, trigonometry, calculus. Those things are hopeless. If you can't add or subtract, let me tell you what messed me up in high school math. Fractions. Listen, students, teenagers, young people, learn your fractions early. They never go away. I thought I could cram them for a test one time, and then the fractions just continually popped up and popped up. Bigger ones, harder ones. Learn your fractions early. I see Elizabeth noting that and writing that down. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't let that be the best thing you get out of this message, though. Okay? All right. Jesus proceeds to explain the four soils. And we've already done some of this, so I'm going I'm to try to do this quickly. Right? The soil of some hearts is hard. The sower in the story of Jesus, or anyone who shares the good news of Jesus, and the seed is the Word of God. Right? We talked about that. The path represents hard-hearted or tough-minded people. Know anybody like that? The words come to them. The Word comes to them, and they immediately dismiss it. They're resistant and unresponsive. They dismiss the word without giving it careful consideration. Again, you know people like this? Don't, don't nod. Don't raise your hand. My challenge to you is that if you know some, some that the, their, their soil is hard, pray that God softens their heart. Because can I tell you something? God can use you to soften their heart. But he's got to do the work. He's got to do the work. And so allow God to soften the heart. Pray that God softens the heart of those people. God softens the heart of those people. Uh, The soil of some hearts is shallow. The next soil is welcoming, right? They receive it with joy. I I mean, Jesus even says, right, they receive it with joy, but it doesn't have any substance to maintain the growth of the seed. Let me tell you something, church. That is why discipleship is so important. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Listen, we get so excited about the number of folks that are meeting Jesus, the number of folks that are attending church. 
But how many of those folks are we teaching the word of God to? The lifestyle of the believer. Right? That it's okay to still be messy and forgiven. Because you're not junk. I said, I said this morning, as we were praying, I just prayed, God, I, I pray that everybody that comes in here this morning would feel at home. Not because we strive for perfection or excellence, but because all of our homes are messy. Right? They're messy. Even, even those of you that think your home's clean, I know, I know you've got that one drawer or that one room that everything gets crammed in before people show up. Come on now. Come on. This is a safe place. This is a place of confession and honesty. Okay? Right? And so even in our mess, even in our mess, God can be glorified. Right? And so um, they receive it with joy. They endure for a little while, even show signs of maturity. However, these people are shallow and have no roots. Once struggle comes, once hard times come, they fall away. Do you know someone who has shown promise but has fallen away at the first sign of struggle? Number three, the soil of some hearts is distracted. See, this group of, this group of people receives the word better than the first two. However, they eventually get distracted by worry, by wealth, by some sort of craving for other things. They're partially committed, which in reality is no commitment at all. This life is more important to them than the life to come. And stuff is more important than the Savior. And the reality is there's no real surrender to Jesus. They find more pleasure in cash than in Christ. They find more pleasure in cravings than in their Creator. And I fear this is where most of our soil is today. We're attracted to the things we're attracted more to the things of earth than eternity. And then lastly, the soil of some hearts is fruitful. The last soil is noticeably different than the first three, isn't it? It represents those who hear the Word. They accept the Word. They bear fruit. Trials don't deter them. Worries, wealth, personal desires, cravings don't distract them. Their hearing is active, not passive. They aggressively pursue the Word, allow it to take root, and then rejoice in the growth. And I want you to notice the promise that comes with receiving God's Word. It will grow and produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It will grow and reduce fruit. Failure to do so proves it is really sown on another soil class. Because the truth is, the truth is that a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. John 15.5 says, The one who remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If we aren't producing anything, that shows we aren't really connected to the power of God through faith in His Word. Now, let me redeem this for just a moment for some of you. Because the last thing I want to do is cause doubt in anyone in this room. Okay? Okay? 
chances, chances are you're producing fruit somewhere. What type of fruit are you producing? Right? You may not see 20 people coming to church from your workplace. Do your kids know about the saving knowledge of Jesus? Sometimes I feel like you get the worst version of a pastor. That's why I struggle sometimes. It's because sometimes I feel like you get the worst version of a pastor. Because I've, I've, got, I've got four high-maintenance disciples. that I focus on before you. And their names are Bria, Micah, Ezra, and Vera. And they're 13, 12, 6, and 4. And when I committed to be a pastor, February 6th, uh, 2011, I think it was, first, week, first Sunday in February 2011. I committed and I promised the church, I vowed before the church to love my family more than I loved you. That is the most important fruit to me. Always will be. And I love you. And I want to see you grow, and I want to see you serve, and I want to see you teach, and I want to see you preach, and I want to see you proclaim the gospel in your workplaces, and I want to see you pour into the lives of others. I want to see you do incredible things, things that, as Habakkuk says, you wouldn't even believe if he, if he told you right now that you were going to accomplish those things. I want to walk with you in every way I can walk with you. I want to, I want to hold your arms up. I want you to hold my arms up, as, as Exodus 17 and 18 and 19 talk about that I read the other day, I want to walk with you. But I'm going to walk with them first. So, my question for you as we close is this. Do you have a listening problem? Do you have a hearing problem. I want to challenge you to hear the word in four ways. Number one, attentively. Okay, hear the word attentively. Lean forward, sit, right? Look and pay attention to what God is trying to show you, right? See, see, see what God might be trying to reveal to you each and every time you hear the word. Whether you're listening to 67 sermons a week or one or a half of one, listen to the word attentively. Secondly, listen to the word prayerfully. Hear the word prayerfully. Pray as you listen, right? Pray as you're walking in. Pray that God reveals himself in a new way to you. Pray that God just reveals himself to you, period. Right? That God, I want to see you. I want to hear from you today. Right? God, I'm not coming to church for, 
I'm not coming to church for Travis's benefit. I'm not coming to church for Dylan's benefit, for the music. I'm, I'm coming to church because I want to hear from you. And whether that's through a song, whether that's through the message, whether that's through the time when we tell you goodbye, right? I, I just, God, I want to hear from you. Number three, hear the word responsively. Look for ways that you can respond to the word of God. Today, are you bearing fruit? What's your soil like? And then lastly, hear the word obediently. Obediently. Every, every time, so, so I'm, I'm reading in Exodus right now, um, and, and, and every time that the Israelites hear from Moses and Aaron, as Moses and Aaron hear from God, and they do, I'm underlining it. I'm underlining it. Because I love the obedience, right? And I'm sitting here, I'm reading this, and, and if I'm an Israelite, Right, I've, I've, and we're sitting at a business meeting with Moses and Aaron, where they're telling us about where we're going to go. I've got all kinds of questions, right? I've got all kinds of questions. I've got all kinds of worries, right? As I look back and I see what what God is doing with these Israelites, right? Well, where are we going to go? Where are we going to sleep? How do we know what we're going to eat? Bread's going to fall from the sky. It's never happened before, guys. Like, how are we going to know, right? But 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 they don't document any of that. It just says. They did as they told them to. Obedience. And as you hear the word, as God reveals himself to you through the word, as you, as you respond, look for ways that you can respond, go and do as God has revealed to you. My challenge is this, as the worship team is coming, be greedy for the word of God. Be greedy for the Bible. Go after it. Grab hold of it. Don't let it go like a starving beggar who has found bread. Picture that in your mind. Seize the word with all your might and cherish it for the life-sustaining food that it is. They that have ears, let them hear. I pray that you've heard this morning and have been challenged to go to sow seed and to bear fruit. And that's how I want to pray for you this morning. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the timeliness of it. God, I pray that we wouldn't be stubborn. I pray that we wouldn't be stubborn like the seed that falls on the path. But that, God, you would soften our hearts to hear from you. God, I pray that we wouldn't be... Um, God, quick to run away once trial comes, once struggle comes, because you promised those things in your word. And so, God, I pray that we would be steadfast, that we would be diligent, that we would persevere in good times and in harder times. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted. God, that we would be greedy for the word, that we'd be greedy for fruit. God, that we would would attack those things and we wouldn't that we would see the things of this world as so secondary to the things of you. God, some of us this morning need to check our priorities. And I pray that we would do so. And God, I pray for those that are sowing fruit, seeing fruit, reaping harvest in their life. God, I pray even there that they don't quit that they don't get comfortable, but that, God, they continue to press into you to see growth.
Because God, I believe this side of heaven, you're never done with us. You're never done stretching us. You're never done growing us. You're never done teaching us. And so God, wherever our soil is this morning, I pray that we've heard from you and that we would go and do as you've said, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive the message that you've preached to us individually this morning and collectively. In Jesus' name I pray.